Today comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 24, verses 62 through 67. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of God. Well, this is the most unusual love story in Scripture. And it is most unusual because what precedes what happened here is an arranged marriage. And when we think of arranged marriages, we do not think of love. We think of awkward, strange. Who might this other person be that I meet who is to be my wife or to be my husband whom I've never met? But indeed, Abraham had gotten old. Sarah, his wife, had died. Isaac, their only child, needed a wife. And Abraham said to his servant, I want you to go from where I am. Which if you were looking at a map of Palestine, you would have the Sea of Galilee. There's the Jordan River that runs south out of the Sea of Galilee into the Dead Sea. And Abraham had settled there uh, around the Dead Sea. He had come from the Fertile Crescent. You remember that uh, from uh, school, from Mesopotamia the land between the two rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. That's where Abraham had come from. And there he was. And he says, I do not want you to get a wife for Isaac from people here. Go back to my people. And that's a whole other subject, why you could marry somebody you related to then. But uh, we could talk about that Another time, or I think there's a blog article uh, on my blog on that from a couple of years ago, but uh, the servant is given these orders to do it, and the servant has a hefty task, and he says, well, what if it doesn't work out? What if I don't find someone? Should I just get a girl from here? And Abraham says, absolutely not. Uh, If you go there and don't find one, come home empty-handed. You know, we're not going for second best here. We're going for a girl from back home. And so the servant heads out. He takes 10 camels. He has an entourage. He prays, God, please grant me favor. Please grant me success. And he heads out on this journey that is at least 1,000 miles Imagine traveling from here to Dallas, Texas on camels. That would take a while. And so he's traveling by camel, uh, this entourage headed to to, uh, Mesopotamia to find a wife for his master Abraham's son Isaac. And he gets there, and on the way he prays, and prayer is all over all of this, and he says, God, here's what I'm looking for. 
when I get there, I want a girl who will come out and offer to uh, me a drink of water. But not only will she offer me a drink of water, God, if she could offer uh, the camels water as well, then I'm going to know this is the girl. Now, I, I don't know how he arrived at that. Um, you know, uh, going on a first date and watching how she drinks her drink, I don't know what that has to do with anything. Uh, you know, maybe today if you took her out and said, God, if she offers to gas up the car, She's the one, you know? I don't know how that works these days, but in those days, the servant prayed, and that's what he was after. I want a girl who, for Isaac, who will offer to water, uh, give me something to drink and water the camels. And sure enough, he pull, pulls up into Mesopotamia after this long trek. Uh, he had gone up the, it's called the way of the sea, and he had gone up this uh, this much traveled trade route around to Mesopotamia. He's gotten there, and when he arrives, here's Rebecca, and Rebecca comes out and she sees him. She's there getting water for her family. She's a young girl. She is uh, a virgin. She has never been married, never been with a man. Uh, the writer of Genesis tells us that. And so, what happens? Moses. Uh, 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 Abraham's servant uh, asked her, uh, or, or just, I think he asked her for water, or she offers water. He asked her, and she offers him water, and then after the request, looks at him and says, Hey, could I water your camels too? Check, right? She met the requirement. Now, when you hear that, you say, Well, Jerry, big deal. What is the big deal? Here is the big deal. How many camels does he take with him? Ten. All right, so camels have big stomachs where they store water for long treks across the desert. And so by this time, are the camels' stomachs full or empty? Empty. And she's got a water jar, which most likely holds somewhere between two, three to five gallons of water. So for her to offer to water those camels means that she's going to do this. And let me demonstrate. Uh, a well would be uh, similar to, you would walk down into something. So she's standing up here. When she offers to water the camels, she's going to have to take this water jar, which she carries on her shoulder, go down here, crank up the water, unless it's a shallow well, crank up the water, pour it into the, the uh, jar that she's carrying, walk up here, dump it into the trough for those camels, and this most likely is going to take her uh, anywhere between 20 and 30 trips. And this servant admires her. She's beautiful. She's attractive. She's never been married and she meets the one criteria. She offered to water his camels. And it must have taken an hour, maybe an hour and a half, as this woman walks back and forth. She's never met him before. She, she has no clue who he is. 
She has no idea of what lays in store for her. She has no idea that he is seeking a wife for Abraham's son Isaac, through whom God has promised to bless all the earth. She has no clue. Do you know what she's doing? She's just being who she is. There is something in her that says serve. There is something in her that says, hey, you don't do this for the reward you get. You just do it. And so she does, and he admires her, and, and uh, he says, where do you live? Right? It's whatever guy says. What's your phone number? All right, so they didn't have phones in those days. Where do you live? And she tells him, and, well, is there room for the camels? Yes, there is plenty of room. She says, come join us. He gets there. He wastes no time. He, her, her big brother comes out like, what's going on? All right, as big brothers ought to do. And so her big brother comes out to figure out what's going on. And when he comes out, he says, what are you guys and what are you up to? And the servant wastes no time. He says, well, I'm here looking for a wife for Isaac. Uh, you remember Abraham used to live here. He left and turns out they're, re- they're related. They remember one another. And he said he gives the girl a gold ring. She knows there's something significant about that. And uh, he says, she's the one. Whoa. And so the, uh, they go meet with the dad. The dad says, well, uh, you know, it'll take a while. The servant says, I'd like to leave tomorrow. <laughs> Wasting no time, right? Absolutely wasting no time. And, and I would say, you know, if, if, if you've traveled a thousand miles across the desert and you find the one, don't waste any time. You know, just, just go for it. And, and uh, <clears throat> so that's, in fact, what they do. And the... Uh, They go, ask her, and she says, sure. (laughs) Sure, I'll go. And so uh, they very quickly get together things. They have a meal that night. The next day they trek out for this thousand-mile journey with God she's never, I mean, she just met, to meet the man who's going to be her husband. You know, I doubt anybody in here has a story like that. My guess is if you're married, you met your wife differently and that uh, you met your husband differently, but not, not for Isaac and not for Rebecca. And so they make the trek and they come to where Isaac is. And when they do, this is the section Margaret has read, we discover three simple principles, men, for how we are to live with our wives. Last week, we looked at our most important relationship, which is our relationship with God. This week, we look at our second most important relationship, which is our relationship with our wives. Next week, we'll look at our third most important relationship, which is our relationship with our kids. So, number one principle, if you're taking notes, is to love your wife spiritually. Love your wife spiritually. What happens when they approach the field, Isaac is meditating. He's praying. Now, you may think, well, that's just a coincidence, but it really isn't. We'll discover it just a little bit later when prayer becomes a critical thing in Isaac's marriage. But when they approach the field, he's meditating, he's praying. Why might Isaac be a man of prayer? Why might he, uh, what in his life would have led him to become a man of prayer? Let me talk about that for a moment. 
Isaac was born late in his parents' life. If you know the story of Isaac, you know that, I, uh, that Abraham and Sarah prayed and prayed and prayed for a boy. And finally, God gave them a boy, but she was 90, he was 100. And uh, he was the much-anticipated, long-awaited son. But something happened in Isaac's life, and it would either make him better or bitter. There's no straddling the fence on this event in Isaac's life. One morning, his daddy woke him up, and he said, we're going to a mountain, and we're going to this mountain to offer a sacrifice. Okay. Isaac knew about that. No big deal. So they trekked out. It's a three-day journey. They get to the foot of the mountain, and Isaac looks at his dad because there's a problem. And what is the problem? He says, Dad, we've got fire We've got stuff to build a fire. We've got the wood. We've got everything we need except the sacrifice. And Isaac's dad, Abraham, looked at his boy and he said, God will provide. That was it. And so they trekked up that mountain. Together they built the altar. They put the wood on the altar. And then, in the most unthinkable turn of events, Abraham looked at his only son, Isaac, by Sarah, and said, you're the sacrifice. That is absolutely unthinkable, isn't it? There's no dad, no mom in the room who can fathom that. So they took the boy, uh, Abraham took his son and bound him and laid him on the altar and drew back the knife. Can you imagine? Isaac was most likely a teenager at this point. Can you imagine the fear in his eyes? You either come out of that bitter and angry at God and your dad. Or you come out of that celebrating a God who provides in the direst of circumstances. An angel grabbed Abraham's hand and said, I know that you trust me. Pulled his hand back. There was a ram caught in the, in the thorns. Abraham took that knife with which he would have killed his son had God ordered him to follow through, and he cut the cords, and together they sacrificed the ram and offered it to God. Um... Something tells me that Isaac's prayer life was really active while he was on that altar. Right? Wendy has told me that since we've got married and she has to ride with me, she prays more than she ever has. And there are circumstances in life that just cause your prayer life just to really grow. And Isaac became a man of prayer. Uh, He was praying in the field. And they approach, 
and they see him. And when they do, Rebecca looks at the servant and says, who is that? And the servant says, that's my master, Isaac. And she gets down off the camel. Maybe it's courtesy. We don't know. She gets down off of what she's riding. She takes a veil and covers her face. And she begins to walk toward him. And the servant runs ahead and tells Isaac the whole story. This is what happened. I I got to Mesopotamia. Your dad said, go find your wife. I get to Mesopotamia. This is what happened. She came out. And, you know, he, he just tells the whole story. The first time that Rebecca laid eyes on Isaac, he was praying. Men, I want to ask you a question. What does your wife know you for? Is her image of you behind a computer? Working at home, working at work. Does she know you to be a workaholic? Is her image of you seeing you drive out of your drive every Saturday morning uh, with a golf bag on your back? Or is it every fall with with bow and gun and it's been years since you've been on vacation and she'd love just a little bit of what you give a lot of time to is that how she pictures you or does she realize that when it gets tough she'll text you or call you And immediately you'll pray. Are you a praying husband? If there was one thing that your one request your wife had for you to pray about, what would it be? If there was one prayer that God would answer for your wife, Do you know what that is? And if there's one thing you say, I could pray about for her every single day, and she would be thrilled that I'm lifting this up to the Lord, do you know what that is? Love your wife spiritually. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 25, very next chapter, Rebecca has a common problem. She's barren. She can't have children, and Isaac... What did he do? It says Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramaeum. And you see that, verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Isaac knew the hurt of Rebekah being barren and he prayed for her. If your wife had one request And God would answer that one request, what is it? And when is the last time the two of you have sat and she said, I know I've been been here before, but now I'm here again, and here it is. And you take and hold her hands, and together you pray. 
Love your wife spiritually. Second, love your wife physically. Notice what happens. If you look at the language in this text, it may not be apparent to you uh, from the get-go. But if you look at it, verse 67 says, Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Brought, took, and became are all in Hebrew sexual language. All of it. They consummated their marriage by the act of having sex with one another. And I would say to you, young men and young women in the room, this is another critical teaching that that is indeed reserved for marriage. And marriage alone. And I would say to you, those of you who are married men in this room, have eyes for your wife and for her alone. Love your wife and your wife alone sexually. Maintain in every possible way fidelity in your marriage. Do not travel down the road of adultery. Do not take step one and step two and step three and somehow believe the lie that step four doesn't naturally follow step three. I was listening yesterday to uh, WMIT and that song. It's an older song came on, but it says it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. Families never crumble in a day. Marriages never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. It's a gradual giving away of yourself. It's a gradual turning away from God that leads to a full-on away from God. And so Isaac <clears throat> took her and loved her sexually. I would say to you men that this is an area where you can constantly be in communication with your wife. And, and if there are problems, address them. Don't be too proud. Uh, address the problems. If there are issues, address the issues. Talk about them. Talk about them to a counselor, a doctor, whoever they may be. Don't be proud in this area. We have some resources in the back that may help you in our media center. You, you just need to, to love your wife physically with the aim for her satisfaction, not yours. And then finally, love your wife emotionally. Notice what happens here. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. That's interesting. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What does that mean? Isaac's mom died three years before this. 
Okay, that gives us insight into grief. It takes a while. But that's a whole other sermon for another day. Grief takes a while. Three years later, Isaac still misses his mom. That's normal, by the way. But do you know what Isaac did? He allowed his new wife, Rebekah, access to his heart. He let her comfort him. And men, we struggle with that, don't we? There's something about us that once uh, we want to be comforted by our wives, yet at the same time we feel a little weak when we let her in. Uh, we feel maybe it's the vulnerability we don't like, but, but wives want you to let them in. They want to know when you're hurting. They want to know when you're struggling. They want to pray with you and pray for you. I asked a while ago, if, if, what is the one request your wives have that they would love for you to pray about? But the question here is, what is the one request you have that you would love for your wife to pray about? What is that one thing that if God could answer that prayer, that she could lift up for you? Isaac let Rebecca in. And he loved her. Unusual language in the Old Testament, by the way. It says, She became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Maybe I, I'm alone as a man in this. And if I am, then I stand alone. I just struggle with this. I struggle to let Wendy in. I struggle to let her know when I'm hurting. I struggle to let her know when I'm struggling. And it isn't good. But I struggle with it. I know for the first two or three years of our marriage, she would say to me repeatedly, just let me love you. She would say that, just let me love you. She would say it again and again and again because there was this thought that I have that still comes creeping back and sometimes soaring into my mind, which says, if you're really a man's man, you ought to be able to stand on your own two feet, deal with your own problems, and, and you're supposed to help solve all of hers, but she's not supposed to help solve any of yours. And that's stuck in my head. And I struggle with that. I think many men do. And I don't know if you men will say amen, but maybe you wives will. Amen? Wives? Amen. All right, so I heard some. The rest of you don't want to out your husband sitting beside him. I'm, I'm good with that. Just this very week, many of you know Trent had surgery on Thursday. And his surgery this week is the hardest one yet. It's just super hard. Lasted five hours. And we're sitting in Chapel Hill, and it's a five-hour surgery. And I'm really, for more than any other surgery, struggling. Struggled the most with this one. This is his 10th surgery. He's 11. You'd think I'd be used to this by now. But I struggled. Five hours. 
get out of surgery. Doctor talks to us. He looks at us, she looks at us and she says, his tumor in his right ear this time was the size of a golf ball. And she said it had completely wrapped around the nerve that controls his facial movement on his right side. If you hadn't come in when you had, he most likely would have been paralyzed soon. And I said, okay, she's wonderful, doctor. I said, okay. And then she said, she dropped her head and she said, uh, it's been there for five years. And for five years, we've gone to some pretty top-notch doctors. And we were just in that year in November of last year. How did we miss that? And everything that says provider and protector in me screams loud right then. Everything. And so... Wendy goes in with Trent. I stay out. Only one person could be there at that moment. His face is swollen. Uh, his eyes turning black. It's just an extensive surgery. He has a, a cup on his head. And so I go in and I sit with him. And then we come home. It had not been an easy day before. We dropped Hannah off to a brand new college on Wednesday drove from Greenville, South Carolina to Chapel Hill Wednesday night, surgery Thursday. I know I've got to go back to Greenville on Friday for a couple parent meetings. It's just one of those crazy weeks. And uh, on Friday morning, I went, and Wendy had to work because Montreat's opening this weekend. So she had to work uh, yesterday and Friday. And, and Trent sleep Friday morning. And I just went and sat in the living room and cried. I just sat there and cried. Grateful, like tears of gratitude. I'm just so glad we got the surgery and got it done. I'm so glad for that. But then just exhausted, you know, just drained, just drained. And so I almost blew it again. It's just hard to preach today. It just is. And had a meeting with a group of men in my office about something else, and then we, they prayed for me, but then I shot Wendy a text, and I said, Honey, uh, she's at home with Trent. I need your prayers today. Do you know how much it took me to send her that text? It doesn't come natural to me. It's easier for me to tell those men that than to tell my wife that. She fired one right back. I will be praying. Is there anything more I can do? I still struggle to let her in. But I've never met a, a wife in a healthy marriage who doesn't want to be in. If there's one thing that she wants, it's access men to your heart. She enjoys that. It doesn't throw her for a loop. It doesn't, she can handle it. All those emotions that you're like, because that's how I am. I just thought, you know, you go through this, you handle it. All those emotions, like she's good with that stuff. Like she can mix it up like a recipe in the kitchen and just like deal with it. And you're like, it's like throw up to you. 
You know, it's like gourmet to her. She wants to hear it. You've got to, we, we have to learn to do this and, and let our wives in emotionally and let them see where we are. And when we hurt and when work disappoints, when we're afraid of something, when the money isn't right and, and you so want to protect her from that, whatever it may be, she needs to know. She needs to be on the inside. And so Isaac loved her emotionally. I mean, this sermon series is not intended to, you know, make you feel horrible about yourselves or anything like that. It's, none of this can happen apart from a better Isaac, whose name is Jesus Christ. Isaac didn't die on that altar. Jesus died on the cross. Isaac wasn't perfect. Jesus was. Isaac wasn't the spotless lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus was. And the Jesus who would follow and be a better Isaac died in your place, men, so that you, by the power of Christ in you, not because you are figured it out, but by the power of Christ in you, can love your wife spiritually, can love your wife physically, can love her emotionally. With Christ, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, said, how many things are possible? That was weak. How many? All. Oh. All things are possible. Paul would later say, I can do what? All things through Christ who gives me strength. And if it seems impossible for you to love your wife in one of these categories, with Christ who lives in you, all things are possible. All of them are. You can love your wife like Christ loved the church. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said to do it. He's not going to give you a command that you can't carry out with his power at work in you. So here's how we're going to finish our time today. Praise team's going to come. And as they do, we're going to put these two questions back on the screen. If there is one request that your wife has that you could pray for her about, what would it be? And if there is one thing that if she could pray for you about right now, what would it be? And our invitation is going to go like this. There's going to be music playing softly for two or three minutes. And then, if you need to slip out from where you are, if you need to come to this altar... This is the chance for you to get beside your wife and say, how can I pray for you? You say, oh, I've never done that before. Well, guess what? We're in church, all right? It's the easiest place. It's just kind of natural in here. And then the second question is, this is how you can pray for me. It was several years ago. We were still meeting at the attic back in the day. 
All right, that's a long time ago, seems. We were meeting at the attic, and we had had one service there, and uh, our praise team had started to lead worship. And back in the day when we had an overhead projector, and, you know, somebody was kneeling on their knees, making sure it was straight on the screen. And the Holy Spirit moved in that day and decided that he would preach in place of me. And when he did, I noticed a couple. They had reached out to me the week before, the husband had, and he said, our marriage is over. They had been married almost 20 years at that point, or actually more than 20 years at that point, but he said, our marriage is over, it's done. She says she's done, no more, over. He was devastated. But the Holy Spirit, who's the great preacher, showed up. And we had an invitation that was spontaneous and lasted probably an hour. And I saw that couple stand up and walk down the aisle and kneel and just grip one another and pour their hearts out in prayer. That was more than 10 years ago, and they're still married today. I've yet to have the first meeting with them. The Holy Spirit did in that time of prayer what he often does through counseling over weeks and months. This is your time, men. So to make this easier, I want all of us to stand. If you say, Jerry, I'm here and I'm not married, it's a wonderful time for you to pray for all of these couples around you. So let's stand. You find your wife. These are the two questions. Uh, uh, Neil, if you could put those questions back up. These two questions are, uh, they are, I'm I'm sorry, I was looking at my screen. Uh, Find your wife. Spend a few minutes praying with her right now. And if you want to come forward, feel free to do that.